Oh, hey there, listeners and juicers. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you have fallen in love with the Draw Your Dice podcast and want to help put some new fruit on the table, but don't feel comfortable making a monthly commitment, well, you can support the show via the ACAST supporter feature. No gift too large, nor too small. Just click on the link in the show description and know that I am sending you the strongest hug when you do so. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We want it to be as approachable as possible. So just eliminating a price barrier, having a low minimum price and a high suggested price. So if you could pay for it, you automatically make up this quote-unquote loss that you don't really experience with community copies, at least for a game like this. It feels really great to spread this game as far as it wants to go and people want to play it. In the first day that the game was up, people were like, thank you for making this free in this hard time. Welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast, the show that calls on the champions and new contenders of the tabletop RPG arena. My name is Jeremy Gage, and I am learning about tabletop game design and publishing. If you are a budding game designer or a veteran looking for fresh musings, stay tuned as we learn about the inspirations, processes, and philosophies of professionals in the industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast today. My name is Jeremy Gage, as you heard in the intro, but I will say it twice because people need to remember who I am. Today's guest, I'm very excited. They are the second of three pieces that inspired me to start this podcast, so I consider it royalty. They are the the co-host of the Brain Trust podcast. They also are one of the leading community members being the co-host and of the Brain Trust Discord, so shout out to all the Brain Trustees out there. I would like to welcome to the show, Will Yopst. Hey! Wow, thank you so much for having me. That was such a good intro. This is such a cool podcast. I am really <laughs> glad to be here. My head is so large now. Good. Uh, <laughs> I'm really happy to have you, Will. So, as I always begin these things off before we start diving into conversations, we've already ice-breaked off mic, off mic. I'll learn radio terminology eventually. We had a really good icebreaker in which we shared a Google Jam board. <laughs> if you're not on Google Jams, you're already behind and your stocks are Get flattening. Real. Yes, the <laughs> stocks. That's so current right now. <laughs> What's the portfolio? <laughs> well, would you give uh, a brief introduction for those who may not know who you are as you present yourself to the world, please? 
Hi, I'm Williams. I'm a game designer from uh, Toronto, Ontario, Canada. This is the Brain Trust Podcast. I make games, games like collaborations with Adam Vass, like A Guide to Casting Phantoms of the Revolution, which is an alt-historical game about revolutionary summoning phantoms against the aristocracy. And this Discord has ghosts in it, which is a haunted house, but that house is a Discord, and all the ghosts are people in it investigators go in the house right that that game was basically on the front page of a newspaper so i <laughs> you know okay and coming to kickstarter soon is my soft apocalypse car hangout bash and crash and ra- relax and then refuel in game torque um yeah, that's it the taglines are so powerful here uh, <laughs> We will get into half of those. If you are listening to this podcast, try to guess which half we're going to talk about in comments, reviews. I don't know how. I still haven't looked at like my Apple podcast thing, and I'm probably never going to. If you're leaving reviews, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You should look. It's, we do something on the podcast, which is sometimes I remember about it, and we check it during the episode and decide that we will try after reading the review. (laughs) Like, if there is a new (laughs) review, we will do a good job. (laughs) Kind of ransomware. I will have to to find them, look at them then. My follow-up, just as for the listeners to get to know you a little bit better, Will, what sort of has been your journey to becoming a game designer? So maybe what was your first... I know a lot of us come, a lot of different of the designers I've had on here come from board games. I usually ask, what was your first role-playing game? But I guess, what was the first game you sort of like got you into like feasting for games? And then what was sort of the first game that got you pushing towards designing games? Yeah, that is such a good question. I didn't play games until I was in college. And I just kind of brute forced it like early in college after... I was like in the wave of the community generation to role-playing games when that one community episode came out. I feel like you oh. can trace back to like, okay, we have the Big Bang Theory people that are now in here. And then we have the Stranger Things people that <laughs> caught D&D through the Gorgon. And I, I, obviously the big monster that I grew up wanting to fight was Chevy Chase. So that's where I got into it. I, there was a lot of like internet lore about D&D and how cool it was. And so I just wanted to do that really badly. I had played, when I was a wee child, a game of Hero Quest, which is like an action-adventure game. Are you familiar with that one? Mm, I, I feel like I've, I've heard of that game. Yeah, it, I mean, it's called Hero Quest. Like, <laughs> that's... <laughs> so everyone's heard of it like you it's like got this grid down and you build all these dungeons out of like little miniature furniture and then you go through and smash the furniture and kill goblins and stuff and so i i played that when i was like seven and i when i stopped when i like got into my games crew i went back and like thanked my friend's dad who did it and he was like i don't even remember that (laughs) so it's all lost the time but yeah anyway started there and I got into the deep end really quickly. And it was right on the, like, f- 3.54 cusp. So there was already, like, a games culture of getting to know new things really quickly. Like, vastly different rules. And so just mm-hmm. bopping from there to 4E to other games like Numenera, 5E when it came out. 
and then just you know i read an aura bell game and then my brain was exploded and then i never stopped never stopped running (laughs) oh shit uh that's amazing i love that i think for some people like for me i also started very similarly in that that my first touch points. I mean, I've always played video games probably most of my life, but when it came to role-playing games, board game things, I played I played Magic since uh, I was 15. Nice. I think yeah. is right. But other than that, my first sort of touch points were D&D 5E. Like on the on the my cultural touch point is the swell of Critical Roles campaign 1. Cool. Yeah. 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 That that's a really neat way to come into it, I think, especially mm-hmm. because you don't have so much of like the movie version of D and D. Like that game is like super well done and produced, but mm-hmm. it's you know not half an hour and you are blazing around a story. Like it sure is four hours long each episode, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I lo- I like that kind of naturalistic portrayal of role playing games in general. So that seems mm-hmm. like a nice humanistic way to come in. Obviously, I w- I would like to kill Chevy Chase. I mean, that's kind of cool. <laughs> that. <laughs> Uh, if I say it three times, it's a problem. Um, yeah, I'm waiting. Yeah, magic seems to create game designers. Have you mm-hmm. have you noticed that? Like the mechan- mechanically in magic, because it's like this really labyrinthine game. Mm-hmm. You you just learn a lot of design stuff by learning how to play. I think it opens up people to the concept of like synergy before they see it right so like when you get a sick combo when you build a sick deck when you like attach yourself to a color in the game or something that like your personality to a color cool i think there's all these synergistic moments that people aren't like aware you know they probably don't even understand that the word synergy exists at that particular point in time but when it happens i think it starts to be like oh shit i can equip this to a first strike creature but what if what if there was another equipment that gave it trample and then the math <laughs> meme just happens and That's your just, teeth start to fall out. I like how you describe that because it makes you as the player start like designing cards for it that you want mm-hmm. to exist, which is neat. I I played magic as a real young young and I went to an unrelatedly named Wizards of the Coast store. They had a store in Rockville, Maryland. And I went and I got my ass fucking slashed by someone twice or three times my age. That was cool. I never played after that. I just, I shifted back to playing gin rummy with my mom, so... When I tell you I feel your pain wholeheartedly, I really do. I entered one, was it Friday Night Draft or whatever it's called? Never again. I mean, it'll Never teach again. you something about yourself. Like, <laughs> how, like, I know that I'm not a sore loser, but what, what happens if I get destroyed? <laughs> what if there's nothing left? What happens if I don't get to play the game while I'm playing the game? That's what I think about when I play League of Legends all the time. I'm like, shit, I didn't even get to play today, so good job, me. God. That's why I like Smash, because you can, like in fighting games and really competitive games like that, you can really dictate someone else's time if you're good enough at the game. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Well, that is all amazing. I'm really glad to see those those steps for you. I think let's let's dive into the meat, because we potentially have, if we have the time, three games to, to dive into. Yeah, but sure. We have two specifically that I think 
people will find really nice coming from a designer perspective. So the first one, we always look at the past game before the future game in this, just to build the narrative. So the first game I kind of want to pick your brain about is there are, this Discord has ghosts in it. I'm going to mess up that title because I'm going to forget an is or in or it or ghost at some point, I swear. I, I call it Discord ghosts all the time, and sometimes I just call it Discord, so... <laughs> <laughs> and really, that's just what it is. That's what Discord is. So why don't you give a brief intro about what this Discord has ghosts in it is about? Yeah, this Discord has ghosts in it is a live uh, role-playing game designed by Adam Vass and myself on the Brain Trust podcast that we then turned around and made into a PDF. I say PDF because it's very funny because it charted on itch. So a lot of people pop into the comments and are like, I don't, where's the game? I can't execute this PDF. And we're like, me too. I wish I could. But in this discord has ghosts in it. There are two groups of players, the investigators and the ghosts. The investigators are on a voice channel in which they are walking through channels of the discord, which are rooms in the house. So as you create this house, you have got this like foyer and a bathroom and a living room and an upstairs and a downstairs and maybe something in the backyard. And you are going through these rooms and looking at the hauntings left by ghosts. Ghosts are a group of players that can only type. Uh, they will go into different rooms and haunt them in different ways, like writing spooky text or putting pictures into different rooms or creating different rooms or putting in videos. And all of the ghosts can also are also sitting in the voice channel, but they can't speak at all. And so you have this uh, live game in which the investigators are trying to discover who the ghosts are, what they have done in a previous life that has left them in this ghostly state. And to get by the end of the game, you decide whether or not you want to whether or not you can release the ghost. It's up to the ghost whether or not they want to be, you know, stay as a ghost or leave ghostdom. And that's it. It's a stupidly fun game that is, like, scary and hilarious at the same time. And I'm really happy with the response it's gotten. It's been absolutely incredible. It has certainly been a... For me as a... I've said the word fledgling designer in combination in the last three days, probably 18 times <laughs> with the stream from last night and all that stuff. I heard the but, word yeah, indie ingenue. I have to write that down. I think you're an indie ingenue now. I think you're classing up. You're getting a new job. Rick. <laughs> yes. Also at some point, I have to do like I have to explore job class systems like Final Fantasy fourteen does oh, and come yeah. like multi class makes a class. It's it's a thing that has to happen. But what I haven't gotten to the Brain Trust Discord app or brain it's not the Brain Trust Discord podcast. The Brain Trust Podcast. <laughs> Sometimes it really feels like it. <laughs> I haven't gotten to the episode where you and Adam discuss uh said game yet. So I might be picking at some things you already touched. If you're, if anyone's listening, I love doing the roundabout, like go listen to their podcast. I like that you're listening to mine. They also have a good podcast. Will and Adam do a fantastic job and just feels like people just hanging out and yeah. making the ether spin. Let's listen to two podcasts. <laughs> Simultaneously. <Yeah. laughs> so for sort of the first question is, what was the driving spark that said, let's create a game in a Discord interface? 
That is a great question. Adam and I had just come off the heels of kickstarting, uh, writing, and delivering a guide to casting Phantoms in the Revolution, which was part of the Break Kickstarter 2018 initiative. Was that 2018 or 19? I don't remember. And this is how we started the Brain Trust podcast was that it was going to be a live journal. <laughs> it's live journal. It's a live design experiment in which we make this game at the beginning of the Kickstarter. And by the end, we have this summarized pitch with the different ingredients and components that are in the game. And then we make it and deliver it. Uh, and we did that. It was hard. It was cool. We got to interview tons of cool designers once we, when we had money and when we stopped having money, we just talked to ourselves. And it's a great <laughs> idea for a podcast. Just talk to your best friend for a while. And so, Aww. on the, I mentioned this entire process because a part of a guide to casting phantoms in the revolution is that it is a weirdo boxed game with lots of components and table shit and like nice and baroque rules that feel like every time a chapter turns in the game, you are changing the table and changing the world and it's a game that doesn't function online at all and so when we were thrown into the obviously when the pandemic happened we stopped playing things in person so my playtest group couldn't meet anymore and when this game was delivering was in march of 2020 and so we just knew it would be a cool item for people to have and read and maybe play in the future and so we were just brainstorming how to play games games that were built specifically to be played online can't be played anywhere else so basically the antithesis of that game and so we looked at the things we already used and liked like discord and just bashed a game about it we have done the same with google maps for the open world rpg where you play a bunch of shitheads in the car on a just slow drive to nowhere and there are other games that we haven't published but we've talked about making like simulating an art gallery using like a digital space where you can walk through it and other games like this so it's something that adam and i are both really interested in doing and it is a way that we can say we're computer game designers which is huge amazing i <laughs> that's the long version yeah yeah no, that's a great version. Listen, on this show, I said it three times, three different episodes now. I like long here, so it's about you. It's not about me. So for what I love about this entire concept, and my, a quick, I'll have a quick aside question here, is that I love the innovation of it because you recognize a pattern that was going to happen. For like, I think early in the pandemic, there were a lot of people who were like, it'll be two months and then we'll be fine. And, you know, there is, there's really a, a hanger for like, yeah, it's not going to be like a two month ordeal friend. It's going to be like a potentially three year ordeal situation yeah. here. Yeah. And to recognize that in advance, to understand that people can't really go to the table and play unless they, you know, vaccine stuff now, uh, you know, tight, tight social circles, whatever have you. But aside from those exceptions to the rule, it's nice to see that you're playing with, tools have you ever seen another i haven't done the digging yet but have you ever seen another game that utilizes discord in this way for a game i know that when we put it out there were a couple other people that were like damn i'm working on a discord game and so <laughs> i think it was just inevitable that more games were going to come up there are um games that use discord bots to provide like a different level of mechanic integration with the discord ui in general people 
use Discord to play games, not in such a the mechanical aspect of like clicking through channels, typing, speaking. You know, in the game, all the investigators have to have push to talk on, so you're physically like doing something to speak, so you're not automatically <laughs> speaking. Yeah, just mm-hmm. adding like you know f- frustrating elements of gameplay, <laughs> like. This is a, a kind of a design thing that loops around every couple of years where games become so sleek and easy that it, and this, this is mostly for like the digital games and with physical, it, it's, it's all over the place. Sometimes physically you just play with a pile of fucking slime and that's great. Like, <laughs> but uh, where the interaction is so smooth, it is there's nothing engaging about it. Like it, mm-hmm. it can be too smooth. So you can just make a like Bennett Foddy style getting over it or quap, just like absolutely <laughs> sticky, fucking shitty, horrible experience. That is really fun. And so just putting those little things, like just smack, I'm looking at the button. I remember I assigned like three different buttons to the push to talk because it did a different thing. Every time I did a different one, <laughs> So it's like, is it command, option, control, or Z? <laughs> what is it going to be? And so I started like just filling up a room with sleepy, sleepy Zs <laughs> everywhere. But th- there's a strong history of using these online interfaces for role playing. So like MUDs, which a lot of other older designers have experienced. I'm not saying like they're old, but they definitely were on a different internet than I was on. Yeah, like the Red Dragon Inn, I think that was a mud where you could just go. It's like a multi-user play space. Oh, Jeremy, what does mud stand for? I gotta look it up. (laughs) Multiplayer real-time virtual world. And so you would have this like interface that you jump into and you role play your character and it's just a place on the internet where you do role play. I mean, there's like any character IRCs and slacks and Google hang or uh, fucking what's the name of the dead Google social media? Google plus a bunch of forge designers yeah. just shook that I couldn't remember the name of that. Damn. Um, but Yeah. And so I think just with every bit of social media or just ways of connection that we find, we'll find new ways to play games through that. Yeah, I love the the push for forward innovation when it when it comes to these things. You know, we see new you know new virtual top virtual tabletop programs coming out almost every year now. At least in in my experience so far, it's stuff like actual tabletop, mm-hmm. multiverse, the the role application, which is not an easily Googleable. No. site by any stretch of the imagination i just tried to put in a game into role that i was designing and i was like i have no fucking idea how to even navigate here like it is like some diagon alley shit to get into role yeah i feel like i feel like it's one of those invite only things where if you don't if you don't know where you're looking you're not gonna find it you know what i mean yeah absolutely um, so for back to the topic of, of design things and not how hard the internet can be sometimes, what, for me, I guess my main question is how did you, one, I think, I think the question, the answer might be obvious, but why ghosts, right? Like why ghosts for Discord, why it's horror genre for the Discord stuff instead of like doing the classic fantastical stuff mm-hmm. and... Or build something crunchier, right? I don't know if Dis- Discord can facilitate crunchier games. I know you, we we can talk about bots and stuff like that, but sort of 
how did you come to the the paranormal investigator trope and how did you delineate the actions i guess i'm more interested in like the actions the ghosts can take like figuring out how to haunt figuring out the investigators frights and stuff like that sort of how did this the structure of the game come about right well i guess for why why ghosts just look at us just take a look <laughs> we like scary shit we love ghost stories haunted houses i just think the uh, discord as a physical place worked really well with this like haunted house you have to stay in this house for one night kind of situations so sometimes the medium dictates what kind of stories you can tell in it and we just settled on something catchy quickly as this discord has ghosts in it we I, often when adam and i are like bashing a game we will theme it immediately so we can just think inside of that those genre constraints and bust out if we need to but use the strength of this kind of like outside game vibe and so this discord has ghosts in it is both like it's in three parts, a Scooby-Doo game, a The Others really moody... You know The Others, that movie from, like, 2004? With a... I, I've seen it. I've not seen it, but I have heard of it, yes. It's a really boring movie with one of the coolest scenes ever in it. Yeah, it's from 2001. Nicole Kidman. The Others is great. It's boring. It's great. It's good. It's got a really good scene. If you know the scene I'm talking about, shout me out in the comments. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but and then also like reality shows of ghost hunters and so mm. kind of drawing from these three places and knowing that <laughs> players are going to shoot for those three things like silly stupid silly real and real real the others it's not a documentary but it <laughs> might as well be but that that's kind of how we got to the the game there and then it just designed itself from there so Mm -hmm. the interaction with the ghosts they are the ones that can manipulate the space and and fuck everything up so the ghosts have a tough role because they have to be proactive but there is a point where the game is both sides reacting to each other's actions so the investigators are being led room by room and and exploring and the ghosts are quickly like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon creating the road before they fall, right? Mm -hmm, so, like, mm -hmm. they're just pulling up track behind them and placing it in front of them. And so the other mechanics, like finding the, the frights of the investigators and finding out the malign and the bloodline of the ghosts are pacing mechanics to make the game end. Because it's always better to end before it gets boring. Not very catchy, but, you know... Short, good game is better than a long, good game. Am I right? A long, okay game. I don't know. That sounds like a truism, and I don't want to do that. But in the, ga the game is in open access, so we're looking at changing a bunch of stuff, adding new roles, mm -hmm. and things like that when we get into a little bit more secure places in our lives. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think all that is powerful, amazing. What I... What I love is that you talked about you wanted to capture sort of these potential three entities of, of the genre trope, right? When you talk about the the gradient from Scooby-Doo, we won't talk about the middle one and sort of that ghost hunters <laughs> situation, right? Nicole convinced the others. <laughs> like 13 ghosts with Tony Shalhoub. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. hey, also Scooby-Doo guy Shaggy. What's his name? He's so popular and yet I can never remember his name when pressured. Matthew Lillard. Beetle, thank you. Matt I was going to get there through some way. 
<laughs> my partner just I got the response is like Matthew Lillard. <laughs> Feel free to bring them in here too. You should definitely you. interview Seb. I really want to. There's a lot of partners that I want. I know I at some point I have to touch base with Fen Adira's oh, yeah. spouse and reach out to them. But I would. I, I, there are so many people in my life. I also have many of those touch points minus the others. And by the way you talk about it, I hope to never add it to my touch points. Yeah, I mean. That, <laughs> It's, it's cool. I'm not to just talk about the others, but Nicole Kidman, yeah. it is just like a, I think it takes place during World War II. And mm-hmm. so she's like alone with her kids in this house and she has to like open every door and lock every door. So it's got a little bit of this kind of Bluebeard's fairy tale energy to it. And the house is weird, mm-hmm. but it's, it's just kind of slow, you know, it's just kind of slow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, it reminds me of a haunt, haunting on of Hill House as yeah, well yeah. as that sort as that sort of energy. It's like if you, that's it's if you defanged ahead. haunting of Hill House. Like, do you remember right. the two storms episode of Haunting of Hill House? Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. as mm-hmm. the coolest shit ever of all time. It's if like that never existed in the universe. Like the two storms. Right. It's a pre two storms. <laughs> <laughs> like take the entire ten episode structure, remove episode eight and call it a day <laughs> right exactly uh, welcome yeah, to the others the, fan so, cast where we go minute by minute through this yeah. 2001 masterpiece <laughs> a fan cast would be a fun podcast i'm gonna pocket that but yeah it has it captures a lot of those genre tropes in a lot of ways and i think that it covers enough bases for what i'm i guess what i'm alluding to is that it's a very approachable game in design as well because especially for i would call this a game that someone who's never played a role-playing game could play for the first time yeah. now i recognize that like if you're not good with narrating scenes playing the investigator may not be your strong suit right or if you're not quick on your feet ghost things might not be as uh, simple for right. for others as as others, but there's a, the allotment of players, two to twelve players. I think allows for a lot of teamwork to happen, and there's also you know I think about modding the game and having this space where the ghost can talk about like what they're going to do next sort of thing as well, which is a potential option. Yeah, uh, just to help those people who are maybe not as familiar with improv i guess that's like super good feedback and that's something that i've heard from a ton of people Mm -hmm. and yeah you're exactly right that what the game has is high information availability so each player can just be reactive to everything that's happening because it is Mm -hmm. it is pretty chaotic in the house when everything's Mm -hmm. going down and it does provide a fully live game unlike other like pseudo like you you're touching upon something that someone could play this and never have played a role playing game and would not recognize this as a role playing mm-hmm. game. So you mm-hmm. don't really have a sheet and you don't really have dice and so you're just having fun. Like is Ghost Court a role playing game or a LARP or is Ultimate Werewolf a role playing game? Like right, right. There's yeah, it's this cool blended live stuff. But of course, it's a computer game. <laughs> And you are a computer game designer. A computer now. game designer. Yeah, I know how Unity works. I love Unity. <laughs> Blender is good. I love Blenders and Unity. Or Unity. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. The I think that will allow us to sort of 
transition here into because the the game isn't you know there's not a lot of rule structure to it and like you said a lot of the game designed itself and i think beautifully so i know that you're going to you and adam are going to touch base with it again when everything sort of returns to a simple vibe but um yeah if you if you haven't trying to work ads into this now if you haven't gotten as i always recommend with the show this discord has ghosts in it it's an easy sell just get it have a goofy time with your friends on discord or have a beautifully you write a novel out of it time you write the next haunting of hill house from it please please do it it's the a good game i'm gonna play in like a week oh hell yeah the next two storms yeah, yeah. it's it's on will slash ghosts and mm-hmm. there should be free copies on there, community copies mm-hmm. to try it if you like it hey pay for it if you don't even want to mm-hmm. fuck with itch go go to the trove and get it like you can do that mm-hmm. that's that's cool with me i'd rather like get your email address in some way or you follow me but like you know you you could so we wanted to make it as like openly accessible as possible sorry accessible is the wrong word we wanted to be as approachable as possible so mm-hmm. just eliminating a price barrier having a low minimum price and a high suggested price so if you could pay for it you automatically make up this quote-unquote loss that you don't really experience with community copies at least for mm-hmm. a game like this and mm-hmm. i've just we've just given out thousands of copies of it so it feels really great to spread this game as far as it wants to go and people want to play it. In the first day that the game was up, people were like, thank you for making this free in this hard time. <laughs> like, it really means a lot. And so the second I got a note like that, I was like, I'm doing this for every single fucking game I make because there are people that it's just the price is too much of a barrier to to get it and for all their friends to get it or simply letting it, Mm-hmm. be freely available lets people ex- access it in a different way if one of their friends got it i feel like there's a lot of psychology here that i'm not necessarily <laughs> equipped to handle but i sure <laughs> speculate at but yeah that community copy model was really successful for this game mm-hmm. yeah i think it's i mean there are large ampersand games that have quick start rule things but you don't ever truly feel like you get the whole of the game. You always feel like you're missing out to some extent. And I really love that there was a thought to really let people like, you know, it's that concept of like the one kid at the table has the player's handbook and it starts to get annoying when you have to share it with everyone. So at some point, everyone needs the rules if they're really into the game. Um, And, you know... (laughs) And then you got to buy two price copies tag. of the PHB and put one of them in a spiral bound notebook and don't get me started. <laughs> Not great binding on those, but yeah, yeah, providing a feature complete game at the free level is important and that you can like divvy up your quick start in different ways for torque. I'm thinking about this a lot for how to have a quick play that anybody a test drive that anybody can go and play, but <laughs> still having like, but you should pay me for it too so yeah everyone has been very cool about it and i've not we have not suffered by doing that so Mm -hmm. i don't know i'm really excited and happy to talk about this community copy model all over the brain trust discord and on twitter whatever hit me up it's a cool thing to talk about
black mass. Yeah. We're about 30, 39 minutes into this. We got it. We have some, we have a little bit of time for, for Twerk and Black Mass. So I'm jacked up on Lemonada. So <laughs> <laughs> let me, I'm going to turn a light because if you are looking at my face, you can't right now. Oh, I'm still looking at the waveform. Everyone, when I record audio, I monitor my voice and look at the waveform. It's like that episode out of shit. Parks and Rec with the robot senator when oh my god <laughs> where he just stares at the wall and smiles or whatever you just look at waveforms yeah that's what I'm doing yeah yeah so so Black Mass I think the only other game for me I think that I have the, not the games mixed up but Lady Lady Bluebird is the other it's it's a it's a multiple people take control of a single character situation yeah. So yeah, would you give a, a brief intro of uh, Black Mass I'd for love us? To. Yeah, Black Mass is a tabletop role-playing game in which the players inhabit two women that are fleeing Salem during the witch crisis of 1690. And each player inhabits a different persona for each character, Catherine and Lydia. And so you create this reverse troop style pointillistic role-playing game where everyone is encompassing different life experiences and events and everything from these two characters. And it's played using a deck of tarot cards that you put in the center of the table, building a spread of their lives in the past, present, and future. And so it's a game with a GM called a Proctor and they, you start the game in the center of the woods and then you end the game at Catherine and Lydia's Black Mass. So it's a witchy, spooky, ethereal walk through dark woods. So sort of my first, I always like to ask the spark question first, because I'm always interested in how people get to final product from beginnings. Was there sort of a, a you know, I know we, you mentioned the trials, but was there a specific historical event or something that you were sort of mapping from when you started the process of creating this game? Yeah, I saw The Witch, and I wanted to make the role-playing game. And I have, I'm really interested in historical role-playing across the board. So uh, A Guide to Casting Phantoms is a historical role-playing game, too. Mm-hmm. And so part of that is just getting absolutely fuckered with research just like popping off and you know the 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 axiom of like you need to read 300 pages before you write one if you're writing historically really taking that to heart and just putting that together with experimental role-playing game format where multiple characters multiple players are inhabiting fewer than that characters so you can have eight players and two characters and everybody is sharing the spotlight and pulling the characters in these different directions and kind of having this unique role-playing experience. So combining experimental goals with thematic goals with research goals. And so uh, hashtag goals is Black Mass. And that was on ZineQuest 2018. Yeah, there's. it's interesting. You're the third guest that I've had that has sort of a historical game that we've touched base on. We had... Eli Seitz, who will be premiering the same day you do, who did The Last Place on Earth. Oh, that game is so fucking good. It's really good and mapped directly from the, I can't remember exactly, I'm trying to pull it up, but my iPad is being wicked slow right now. Yeah, it's the Arctic Expedition in the 19... It was 1903. Eli, was it 1903? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Could you please come in here? Okay, that game, if you 
are into it, get someone to run it for you because the, it has the best act to of any role playing game mm-hmm, ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I super agree, and also really strong like solo journaling yes. components too. Like oh. it's wicked strong in the solo department, and I'm not like I kind of bounce off of. Uh, solo games sometimes because I like playing with people, but it's got a wicked good journaling system. Oh my god, it right rules. there with the machine. Yeah, Eli is part of the Boston game design, Boston area game designers meetup that I run, and I got to hear about the, like the development of that game and see it go from uh, an idea to a completed zine. And Eli's stuff is so cool and good. Yeah, Eli is Kickstarter. Don't just plug someone else's Kickstarter Thursday, <laughs> which is a mm-hmm. inspired by. Holy shit, what is the name of that show? Russian Doll. Russian Doll. <laughs> Let's get it clean. Inspired by Russian Doll. Time loopy gonzo game. Yeah. Oh, God. Last Place on Earth is so good. Yeah. And then we also have the... I had Benjamin Sperduto on here and his game Hounds of the Tsar. Czar, Czar. Oh, cool. I'm sorry, Ben. I I goof it every time. I know you told me in our podcast, but I cannot remember right now because I have the nerd sweats and I'm nervous. <laughs> but basically, it, it examines Russian historical events, which is which is really cool. And I, the whole point of that is to say that I'm loving this being exposed to these games that have historical groundings. That I know you said sort of the spark idea was the movie the witch but to do that extra research and really learn more about a place i've had a floating idea of creating a game where your setting is your city and you make like a negaverse Mm -hmm. of it Mm -hmm. and you just get like a like a city map and you flip it upside down and on the back side you write the negaverse and you do like little history prompts of like who owned this building 30 years ago and then that shadow of that person is that npc down there or something like that so sort of this explore your city motif but i remember you talking about that game in the discord and i got so fucking psyched because that's like exactly my shit i was living in boston when i made black mass and i just spent a ton of time out there in the woods just taking pictures and stuff and just going on quiet walks where my phone would die because it got too cold and then just going to salem and marblehead and to graveyards and just really steeping myself in everything. And so I learned so much more about the design of the game and how I made games by just like putting myself in the physical circumstances of the players and characters in the game. Mm-hmm. Would you have, I guess I'm a missed opportunity for Eli and Ben. I'm sorry. I didn't ask this on, on for them, but would you have any, as a quick side tip, for anyone doing sort of a historical research research project for, I guess, any creative endeavor, really, do you have any, like, best practices or uh, principles that you could, you know, give to the other fledglings that are out there? Yeah, the other ingenues. I would just say, <laughs> if you want to make a historical game, got to do your research. And it's about finding out what kind of history you like, because everyone likes history, and you just have to figure out whether you're the kind of person that likes to know about discrete events all throughout time, all throughout geography, just as cool little bits. So maybe you like the Silk Road and you like fucking like the civil rights movement in the 60s and maybe you like punk in the 80s. Or you like big, huge swaths of a single event. Like 
I'm talking about World War II dads right now. And so, you know, everybody should be, like, at this basic level, invested in the history of the world and figuring out what in that is, like, internally exciting to you and how you can connect that to the entire world's history, right? So that sounds really intimidating, but for me, what that looks like is just figuring out how in 1690... The thing was happening in the Salem witch, like the Salem witch trials were happening. Well, Y was happening in France and Z was happening in Australia and just kind of developing a historical consciousness like that. Mm-hmm. That is like one. That's not really a tip. That's a goal. Here's a tip. <laughs> Figure out if you should write the game or not. You know, there's a lot of. Oh, how would I how would I say this? It is a fraught topic to make historical role playing games because I think having too light a touch with your research will really negatively impact your project in ways that support under examined biases that you have. Mm. So really just interrogating the topic itself, figuring out, you know, am I, am I the right person to make this game? Should I be making the, you know, like Japanese source book for seven C? Like, is that me? <laughs> um, <laughs> Do I, what do I have to say about this? And to also, I mean, the opposite is to how restrictive, to not be as restrictive with yourself as to what you're interested in and finding what's gameable about it. I got a lot more lessons about writing a guide to casting phantoms in the revolution because a big point in the development of that game was that I would not write about the reign of terror, which was like after Louis the 14th was killed. And then basically it was like a, an ocean of human suffering beyond imagination. I was like, that's not it for me. <laughs> like, I don't really want to touch this. I can't, I don't think we've gotten to the sociological bottom of what happened in the reign of terror. So, you know, figuring out the bounds and all that stuff. I'm answering this in a really long way because I have a lot of feelings about it, Mm -hmm. but just get into it and try and then interrogate it after you've tried. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. 
Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Everyone at home, say it with me. We like it long here. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I hope someone said that with headphones in. We like Uh, long hair, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we like it long here. Uh, no, that's all really good stuff. I mean, it's it's things I often think about for myself as well. I recently did the Ancestry.com-ish of getting my spit examined. Oh, yeah. And I found out, or potentially found out, you know, who who's to say how accurate it truly, truly is. But I have some origins in both the Welsh area of the nation dating back or of the world dating back like 300 ish years. Mm. And then I have Congo origins from my dad, like Bantu tribe type stuff. Mm -hmm. And constantly I'm wrestling with myself because as a, as a black game designer, I always want to be like, okay, I want to make like, I want to present black personality in a game, right? Like I want to, I want to bring that diversity to the game table and but I also always question myself, like, mm, I'm American. I'm not African. You know what I mean? Like, I always have to I have to see uh, within myself, like, do I do I have the authority to even present that though I classify myself as black? Because they're not necessarily the same thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, do I dig into my origins and delineate from there? Or do I leave it alone because I, uh, I'll never have the proper voice to express that stuff. So, you know, I I guess what I'm saying is I, I feel like we're on the same page when it comes to like, you have to ask yourself, should you be the one displaying this idea, right? Yeah, the, and just for total clarity, my advice is for uh, mostly white game designers who have a dog shit history of choosing <laughs> a broad caricature to write about and then writing about it. And we've seen that since the first fucking role-playing game. And mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. my really cautious advice is like, so we never see an Oriental Adventures again. And mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I think it it gets hairy, obviously, quickly figuring out like what you write about and how to write about it and how to engage with stuff because you can love like just to talk about Oriental Adventures for a second, that's not a love of history because it is a pastiche of like six different Southeast Asian cultures. And it is just, it's it's a mess. And yeah, and you're already doing the consideration and the research. And so, I don't know, I want to see your game. Thank you. I appreciate that. But for, you know, driving the boat we're in a boat now driving the boat to back to black mass so i have an additional question for that in that what are some of the challenges in design when you're constructing a 
what would I call it? A housed character, right? So like the concept of multiple players inhabiting a single, I, I know that the game presents multiple personas of the characters. So you're almost, almost slightly playing a different character, but the body is singular. And how, it, what is the consideration when doing something that is a multi-souled sleeve right yeah there so a game that is an unfortunate inspiration for this was everyone is john which mm-hmm. is a role-playing game where am i talking shit on a podcast where um <laughs> multiple players play different voices in john's head and you can roll for control of john and you can operate john inside of his circumstances and so mm-hmm. it's a really sloppy dissociative identity disorder game that just is kind of a party game and there are very successful games i really like housed characters the way you you said that bluebeard's Mm -hmm. bride is a huge inspiration for black mass in which each player plays a persona of the main character of bluebeard's bride the bride (laughs) and so those personas inform what moves you have access to but also what kind of experiences you personally have with the character while you're playing the game and you can calibrate your specific experience and the table experience to what that character is so in in black mass i made a bunch of personas for both catherine and lydia and each of them involve a either uh habit that they have that they do that just forms part of your personality a Mm -hmm. life experience that they had that informed their personality a expectation of them from their communities or a thing that they did in secret and so that just made me figure out every single thing that they did Mm -hmm. as a designer providing that strong narrative design for characters and a way to clearly label the types of experiences you would have at the table if you picked Lydia of the Powder, who has a giant flintlock rifle. There was a witch during the Salem Witch Trials who was accused of levitating a shotgun around. It's just a thing that happened. They were like, no way this little guy could have done it. <laughs> the gun was way too big. And he but said, the 12-year-old girl absolutely could. Sure, yeah, because, you know. It's, it's someone did it and people were freaked out enough that I know about that in 2021. <laughs> so like, <laughs> you know, that's really stood the test of time, but just trusting players to get this kind of warped perception of role-playing a uh, warped is the wrong word, but the kind of warping the one character per player and no waiting. So you're always your character having mm-hmm. to pay to be the character in the form of, putting up tarot cards or continuing to pay tarot cards to do moves as, as Catherine or Lydia makes it so that you have this active and engaged play whenever a player is one of these uh, characters. Mm. It also makes you play both characters against each other asynchronously and allows you to like spectate a role-playing game while you're in it, while thinking of things that you can do and knowing Mm. that you can affect the story, but while being able to, chill and see the story happen yeah i think what's really awesome about that experience talking about kind of sitting on the sidelines waiting for your turn sort of thing is that i think it's a good what do i want to say skill teaching game so the 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 big example is the big ampersand the D, where it's 
I think that people, when we watch shows like Critical Role, and we watch how all those voice actors understand the concept of give and take in an, in an improv situation, and that they're, they are there to root for their friends as they are role-playing. So everyone just kind of like, when it's two people in the scene, everyone hangs back, they're listening, they're chilling, they're excited about what's about the plot twist. In, in my experience, in more, I guess I would say average style of games because i you know to me critical role is a little bit like extra in its own vacuum of D. yeah it's, it's game of thrones yeah it's, it's yeah, absolutely yeah. heightened reality which is like the beautiful part of it yeah but at home it it can be sort of a struggle to wait or it's either boring to wait or you're itching to like dive in and sometimes you interrupt something that maybe you shouldn't have. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't pay off well. And I think playing a house character game would, is a good skill builder in, in addition to being fun for the person that enjoys that play style. Yeah. The, the tech that I alluded to is that every time you inhabit Catherine or Lydia, every time you embody that character, you get three tarot cards to your cairn, which is your face down stack of cards that you use that you spend cards out of to do actions. Mm-hmm. So it has a built in countdown for how long you can be in that role. And so it makes you effective and it makes you play hard. And I'm definitely a player that like jumps in at wrong points. Like I can be <laughs> like, I really have to watch myself cause I always GM. So I don't do that. Mm-hmm. So I don't do bad player habits and I'm like really aware of it and I'm working on my personality. And, um, but yeah, you're exactly right in diagnosing that like that's something that can ruin the night for everyone. And so experimenting with who can talk when, like this is something I come back to with like elemental role playing game design, which is like, what is the currency? What is the game unit? Like, how are you even speaking to each other here? Who can dictate mm-hmm. the conversation? Let the and let the conversation begin. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, for real. I think there's something interesting about a tech mechanic, or even a you know the designer speaking to you in the text of saying like, "Hey, if you don't, you know, if you're not in the room in the game, you're probably not talking right now. Right? Like you're not here. <laughs> you're, you're not here to uh, have a goof scene in the middle of this heartfelt, you know, son reconnecting with dad moment. So." I'm a sucker for father-son stuff oh, nice. due to personal emotional baggage, <laughs> sure. but it gets me every time. Yeah. The, what is that What is that movie, Will Smith and his son? Oh, uh, that. Pursuit of Happiness. Okay. <sighs> Damn. I might as well just be a dead person after that. I was uh, like. I don't know what to do with myself. Oh, Will Smith and his son, the one where the earth is destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> two, two different experiences. <laughs> Oh, the one with Will Smith and his son, a zombie in New York, and his dog. <laughs> yeah, but maybe not the strongest example. No, but yes. definitely we'll go at that first joke in the final <laughs> cut. So yeah. uh, you you touch upon something that's really interesting and is like a d- major design conversation happening all the time, which is like, do you write the game for people that for the its worst players, like? Mm-hmm. Some of that is safety tools and calibration tools. So, like, how do you make sure everyone's on the same page with what's expected? Which is a much mm-hmm. better way to frame that, rather than, like, how do I make sure a fucker doesn't ruin this? You know, mm-hmm. like, if it's a 
con game or it's a game at a game store where you can just get rogue operators really <laughs> shooting their shot, <laughs> really fucking up the game and people's experiences. I mean, there there are many among us who have played at a game store and then stopped for a long time. So the table calibration tools like CATS, I don't, I don't remember that stands for right now, but that's like you know, what the game's mm-hmm. about, what we do in the game, what is expected of us, or lines and veils as a pretty standard safety tool. In Black Mass, you know that there's only two characters, and you know that you just have to pay attention to see what happens to them. Mm-hmm. So the game itself is calibrating the style of play it wants, and that is really key for like getting the... And it's it's experimental role-playing game, so... You have to introduce the concepts at like a basic, like just plain English level of like, here is like the order in which we speak in this game or whatever. I I rewrite rules all the time. That is something that I'm learning about myself that other people don't do. I will just rewrite some fucking rules 11 times until they sound good to me. Yeah, I really love the concept of a, of a calibration text right like uh, we often talk about safety tools for for games throughout the series but kind of upgrading that terminology to the calibration page right i i see i see it in your games i saw it in necronautilus with adam's game when it came to like the open door policy which i thought was a, a really like amazing i've never seen that in another game and i now it's now written in my documents like all of them oh it's because i think it's important yeah it's it's like a really important tool at conventions as well and so Mm -hmm. when if you expect your game to be played by people you don't know just having like it stepping into that friend group and being like any of you can leave at any point for any reason and it is okay you do not have to say anything and Mm -hmm. it's it's really important and yeah the difference between safety tools which are tools appended to a game to foster safety and games that are built with those intentions in mind the ones that are like fully integrated into the game mm-hmm. are more effective i'm not a safety tool expert but the scholarship there is that it's it's good <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you physically hear me running out of rope on that one <laughs> yeah. that was cool <laughs> You listen, you've had the the strongest like vocabulary and taglines for, you know, someone going rogue at con. <laughs> I can see the I can like see the event happening. God. And you can see the Twitter thread afterwards. Yikes. <laughs> Amazing. Great. I think Black Mass for me as a designer, the things we touched upon. I th- I think it's important to say cuz in a lot of my earlier episodes we really talk about like the micro details of games but i think what's important for people to understand as the show evolves is that i'm quickly learning that sometimes games that we talk about are bring up bigger conversations about best practices rather than toolkit stuff Mm. because sometimes while i want a podcast that has a bunch of tools that people can pick up and use and put in their games i also want people to have understandings about the perception of how the industry needs to move forward in some cases, right? So when we talk about inclusion, diversity, those calibration tools, all important stuff.
Torque. It's on Kickstarter now, right now. Go back it. It is a zine that is also a game. What a shitty pitch for a fucking game. <laughs> you didn't have it written somewhere. You didn't have like a legal pad that you just brought up to your face. Yeah. Like, this is Torque. Game by money. Kickstarter is stressful. But yeah, so Torque. It is a uh, mixed board and role-playing game in which you play drivers, specially licensed to go across this weird world and stitch together its communities. There's dangers on the road, and there's weirdness in the sky. You make it from community to community, plying your trade to relax and refuel before you head out onto the dangerous road. It's part Mad Max, part Redline, part Death Stranding, and a lot of just cozy, chill hangout shit. And it is also like a blended role in board game. There's a lot of stuff going on, as you can tell with my designs, <laughs> and this is one of them. First of all, Redline, amazing shout out, amazing resource, great touch. Um, Isn't Redline like the best thing ever? The, well... I see that you are a person of taste, but we will have a different conversation about what's the best thing God. ever. When it I saw Redline and shit. It was so good. <laughs> I watched it and then watched it four more times. <laughs> that way you'll really get it at the end. Yeah. Um, I also, some of the words also peaked up things like Borderlands is another yes, sort of totally. minor t- touch point. But you mentioned that it was like, what did you say? Soft apocalyptic yeah it's a soft apocalyptic game what does that mean what i, I just this quick genre like what i've never heard oh of absolutely term. uh you you totally have seen like a soft apocalyptic thing mm-hmm. it is it doesn't deal with the i should just pull up a dictionary definition no i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna grip it and rip it so yeah it, it, it is not the road by cormac mccarthy <laughs> I think that that's the definition. So you can push and pull on these different elements of a post-apocalyptic fiction. Mm-hmm. One thing that I spe- so like to talk about my soft apocalypse and what the player's soft apocalypse will be is that this is not a game about glorifying neo-feudalism like mm-hmm. like Fallout mm-hmm. and it's not mm-hmm. a game about guns or prepper mentality and mm-hmm. it's not so much a game about like the horrors of nuclear war which are really strong touchstones in apocalyptic fiction this style of play i discovered while running gamma world first edition best game ever in the brain trust discord and having a apocalyptically tinged wasteland kind of tank girl vibe where people were just chilling the whole time and it was like wow this is closer to like a post-anthropocene or like a post-era of humanity game. And so the way I describe it in the text is that everyone is striking a bargain with the world that they live in. So no longer is there the like free exploitation of every single thing, but you make a alliance with the land that you live on or the, the people that you meet or the weather or the way the, you know, that sound works or something like that. So you, Mm -hmm. each community is an example of this understanding of like the world is weird and different. So maybe that is like, we get horrible dust storms that make rainbows come out of the sky or we, all the music sounds like number stations, even if we're singing like that, you have this base level of weirdness coming up from everywhere. And there is less of the like, 
wow, the solution all along, all we needed was an apocalypse for us to kill the shit out of each other. (laughs) And more like, here's an opportunity for us to like connect Mm -hmm. the, the few bonds we have left. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, with that explanation, it's something I immediately am adding to uh, a document I'm working on about like a world restart thing. Like that's amazing. I think that because it's, it's, it's examining like, if we had the opportunity to, to start earth over like abundant resources and, but we maintained like, I don't know, not the current status quo, but the population, the world is called Phoenix. We moved the earth, the earth name to Phoenix name, the sun scorches the entire earth. And then it just sort of like, is like a burnt forest that regrows itself. Oh, and that's so cool. There's aether and magic and stuff, but collecting resources anyways, the point of all that is that it's that's a really cool variation on. I mean, I, you know, I'm familiar with the post-apocalyptic tropes that that you're straying away from. To hear that you're more focused on taking these new limited events in this landscape and creating a a vibe, right? Like you're just creating, like, hey, man, like I I love. I love this dust rainbow energy here. Let's keep that going. Do you want to talk about that? Do you want to talk about the purple storms or the red storms? Right. right like yeah. that. Like in, in the game, the player characters are especially licensed by their own community to go do their thing somewhere else. So mm-hmm. one of these character classes is the modem, which is someone that brings social media to each community. And they Amazing. like pop open their fucking trunk and they, you hear the dial up tone and then people just, come to you and you connect them for a while to connect with other people. There is a frontier librarian class, which I don't have a cool name for, but frontier librarian does sound cool. And it was a real (laughs) fucking thing that happened where they bring zines and comics and books and movies to people and screen them and rent them out or at least like library them out borrow. What the fuck is the non-capitalist word? I'm so poisoned, Jeremy. What the fuck? Uh, Ooh, what if they were called the torrent or limewire? Oh, I don't know. Torrent is really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you just got. I was th- like, what gives away PDFs? And I didn't want to call them the tropes. The tropes. <laughs> oh, wait, that's actually great. I'll, so each right. So in the game, you 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 have gotten your license either from your community or you inherited it. There is a finite amount of these things. And it just proves that like each community trusts someone with this, and you are a trustworthy mm-hmm. person. There are perils and dangers out on the roads, whether it's a rogue factory of self-driving cars that never stopped creating at the end. Um, (laughs) What if it does happen, though? You ever hear the Injury Reserve song, Jailbreak the Tesla? That is a good song. Um, But, or like other... You know, there are those gun nuts and feudalists and and Mm -hmm. preppers Mm -hmm. out on the road, but you are uh, making a principled decision to, like, not hurt or kill or destroy these communities, although there are people that want to. So it's taking a lot of hints from the game Death Stranding, in which you play a courier, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it is way more Mad Max and way more less Baroque and clear. No, you, that's exactly some of the things I was going to say. Like, I, who did I just have on here that said something about like toolkit games? Damn it. Oh, it was actually the stream the other with uh, uh, plus one XP. Oh, cool. 
they were talking, Tony was talking about how people all have started to create these games for all the, what used to be the unfun bits for GMs, like creating a world, travel, um, equipment, um, downtime yeah. scenes, equipment. Yeah. All that stuff. And cr- literally creating games out of those unfun concepts to make them fun. And for Torque, I mean, as kind of touching through some of the small micro mechanics of it, I mean, there are pe- I've been trying to figure out how to do like, you know, sometimes a game doesn't need travel. You can just montage it. Right. But, you know, I think about mechanics for my own games where like, oh shit, that, that would be super wicked to do like a, a chase, like a chase scene this way or, or any of those things. So I think that you nail the courier atmosphere and the travel atmosphere. I mean, I, you know, I, I read through to the, to the best of my ability and really got that feeling from, you know, the Google doc. There's no art, there's no art or anything for, for torque currently that I've seen, but yeah, the feeling is there. The feeling is there 100%. You, you absolutely have caught that theme and, and, there's certain, certainly things that I'm picking away from it almost immediately after today. Extremely kind. Thank you so much. There should be art up on the Kickstarter page. Gabriel Reese, who is a Brazilian artist, a killer line art person, please hire him. Oh, I did see um, those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, super duper good. And I'm working with another artist, Willie Dib, who's French. And basically go on Instagram and look at it for a long time until you get these killer <laughs> artists. Like anyway, uh, th- they are both extremely skilled line artists that just like evoked instantly this style. So yeah, that means a lot. I am really glad it's coming through. Like like as you could tell with a bunch of my games, there is a pretty weird pitch that is extreme. Like I like creating games that could only exist in role playing mm-hmm. and genres and themes that only work at the table or digitally with these people with these people mm. I call gamers. But yeah, so half of the game is played on this board, which is mm-hmm. an abstract representation of the road that is just nine tiles arranged in a square. And when you hit the road after a rest stop, which is when you go to the community, you are instantly in a scenario in which you are battling off other vehicles, whether it's these fucking shitty Elon Musk mobiles or, (laughs) you know, whatever, a skag, or maybe there is just some drones coming after you or there is a weird weather event, whatever. So you are doing this like really rules light tactics game in which you are protecting yourself, your other drivers, and engaging with cool events that happen on the road that you have to like stop and find. So it both fuels a discrete storyline that you can play the game through and also have this feel of like, okay, now we're like doing some gaming right now, which I really wanted to experiment with this, a smaller unit of game time where you're on this road for 20 or 30 minutes and then you're doing some freeform community apocalyptic role playing for 20 or 30 minutes and just Mm -hmm. looping that as many times as long as your game session is and Mm -hmm. that's kind of like a secret goal not so secret goal of this game that i want to see how quickly i can get things happening over and over again Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah when i was reading through it and imagining sort of the probably a, a general version of capturing the themes. I immediately thought of Fast and the Furious yeah. and like that that movie is, you know, I mean, I guess Mad Max kind of technically counts in the same, but there's really this rapid, like not driving, driving thing that happens in Fast and the Furious, at least for the like the first four of them. I've not seen any of the later extensions of the trilogy or whatever you want to call it. 
the double trilogy. It really pops um, off at five. That's what my intel says. Adam Fast, thank you. <laughs> Heard. But it, it's to get that game loop happening feels the exact same as that movie, right? Like they're sitting in the in the what the what is that guy's name? Paul? Yes. Uh Yes, Paul, that actor, he, he, you know, they're in his boathouse for like 10 minutes and then they're having a high octane drag race the next 10 minutes and then they're in the garage for 10 minutes. And it's like, it's just this really rapid movement of pace, like this, this constant up and down. And I think that the having this two-phase play is really strong here for both those things because, you know, for me as a player, I don't want to be driving hard the whole time in a barren wasteland and that's why i really am attracted to torque is that you know i'm a, I'm a softer apocalypse kind of guy mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. now and you know i love solar punk and all this stuff and i love the, i love the game uses the word like vibing like you're just coming in and you're vibing just yeah getting points of interest and talking <laughs> yeah so when you hop off the road you have these like discrete markers you're tracking during play, which one of them could be a storyline that you allocate some of your like action points during a game to solving. So maybe you find the wrecked out Hulk of Max's old car because you're on his tail because he broke up with you three weekends ago <laughs> and uh, you figure out, you see a map, you know where he was. And so you then make that your next location that you go to. And so the game has these storylines that go through it. So the game is like narratively designed while you're freeform playing inside of it. Something mm-hmm. I dig, but yeah, when you hop off the road and into a community, you roll the vibe of the community and figure out what it's deal with. This is a GM list game. So everyone is participating in this in the same, mm-hmm. um, in the same capacity. And you go have these group freeform scenes with people in the community and you have these uh, solo scenes with just yourself some classes have activities that you do solo and you just do them for a little bit it's just having a lot of different play styles within this framework of like kind of tactical driving revving your engines and bashing and crashing and then like what if we just uh, drank soda right now and (laughs) like what if there was a soda bar and we hung out and and worked through some stuff or you know you could ostensibly go to a community and role play as everyone but the characters Mm -hmm, where you are mm -hmm. writing the you know hundreds of stories that happen in this place and so i'm i don't know i like that i made it i like it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's good for me. Two uh, two micro mechanics that I sort of want to call out here that I found really interesting in one is call and the other is I think it is that you have leftover dice and those end up making up your points of interest at a rest stop. Right, yeah. Is is that is that is that right? Did I remember that uh mechanic correctly? Yeah, in this game you only use two six-sided dice and they dictate everything that you do on the road and they put stuff into the communities once you have gone to them. So on the road that means uh you roll you roll 2d6 to make your character. You roll 2d6 to... I'm like flipping my wrist around like I'm actually rolling these. You roll 2d6 to move around this board, which is in the shape of a d6. So the pips on the dice represent the pips on the road that you can move to. And you have different abilities that you can do. One is, you know, you are... Uh, speaker box is a character like the doof warrior in mad max fury road the guy with the guitar yeah absolutely doesn't have to be guitar i think in in the game i said like you could just be doing audiobooks or something like it's whatever you want it's sound (laughs) yeah oh shit blasting draw your dice (laughs) Um, 
<laughs> just this laughter over. And I over mean, again. that's what it feels like when I listen to my podcast. <laughs> but there are some more granular mechanics. This game has a lot of DNA with Into the Breach, which is a mm. chess like game about moving aliens around a city before mm-hmm. they fuck it up. And that's by the FTL designers. That's a great game. And Dicey Dungeons, which I believe came out last year, where mm-hmm. you play a dice that is going through a dungeon, and you allocate dice Crazy. to these different abilities, and you're playing this kind of tactical roguelike game, but the numbers are really stupid small and easy. So one of the mechanics for the game is calling it, and so that's when you call whether the next roll you're going to do is evens or odds. So it's just a 50-50, and that is a kind of to decide to call it is like in No Country for Old Men where Javier Bardem scares the shit out of a gas station attendant. <laughs> and I want that energy where he's like, call it, friendo, please. Please. Yeah. It got everything on this one. It creates a moment of tension before you roll the dice mm-hmm. and find the answer to what it is. So each character and many moves interact differently with this call mechanic. And it just is like a secondary level of granularity and uncertainty with the game because otherwise it's like a it's a perfect information game and that's the only thing where there is some question about what's going to happen next and as we stated a game with smooth mechanics alludes to creating a smooth brain Mm. and no one wants that right it's got to get a little sticky yeah gotta get a little stick no i love i love one turning the dice into basically miniatures when you get the rest stop. That's why I want to call it out. It's it's this really cool tangible, like it's almost like you're, you're holographically like rolling the dice and then all of them shoot. uh, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. uh, (laughs) Little images out of them. Right. It's, it's goddamn Yu-Gi-Oh happening. Right. (laughs) We're all floating around for the dual disc. Note to add shadow realm to torque. Thank you. (laughs) Um, but also I've never in my role play experience, I've never played a game that has you bet, like call a bet, right? Where, you know, I, I know there are games where it's like the AC's 13 and my percentage chance of rolling that, like some could call that the bet, but to have it happen before the roll and know that like, yeah, I could, I could do this. Okay. But I'd like to do it really well. I'm going to call this right. Like it's that sort of energy. Yeah. And I I like that. I've like I said, I've not seen it in another game currently, and I'm, you know, I've saved every brain trust interviewees game that I've had in here. <laughs> I have like a library stock full right now, and I'm up to what have I? I've read like forty games in two months. So. Wow. <laughs> the I there must be like carbonated water in your brain right now, just of <laughs> game design shit. <laughs> I'm just fizzing away, yeah, dude. That's so good. I I draw a lot of design inspiration from everywhere and so the calling it i think is just adding some drama to something that was otherwise wrote within the game so you Mm -hmm. know that you're unflipping the casing around the red button before you do that so you're like i'm gonna call it and then you use your thumb and clack it up what the fuck is that thing called a button protector anyway before hitting that and then it Bad things happen or good things happen, and it's a cool mechanic because you know instantly whether it has been successful or not. And it's hard to find a lot of instantly reactive stuff in tabletop. You know, there's not really many meteor smashes that you can get at the table. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. On the community stuff, right, so when you pop off the road, you get your D6 and any extra 
dice that you've won from the road, whether it be by completing objectives or doing personal challenges or stuff like that. And so you then roll these dice and then draw or visualize this community based on where the dice have landed and how they interact with each other, where positionally they are. So it's a little bit like the quiet ear with these project dice that represent places that will then exist. It's a little bit like, is it Dead Planet, the mothership zine, where you can create a space station by just rolling a bunch of D10s? And I love doing that. But that just, you are saying when you roll that, like, there is story here and we're going to figure out what that story is to get that dice back mm-hmm. to play the next round. And so that mm-hmm. dice is like locked until you do a role-playing thing mm-hmm. or do a move or do an activity, right? The move is something you do with someone else. An activity is something that you do with yourself. Yeah. And that POI thing just really fit in the kind of <laughs> heads up display that I imagine when writing this game that mm-hmm. like I can just look around and see these pips of information in an otherwise busy community Mm-hmm. You know, a dice that falls outside of the center and is isolated could be an outsider. It could be something strange that you discover as the players. And could be Aragorn. Could be Aragorn just kicking it in the barn with these <laughs> hobbitses. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they're in an inn or whatever. Yeah. But, wow, Vigo. I watched it. Hey, okay, wait, hold on. Vigo was also in the movie version of The Road. Now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> Something's happening. Six degrees from Vigo. Yeah. Right. So each uh, rest stop, if you play like a storyline. So Torque, here's a secret. Torque will be released as a series of episodes um, in which mm-hmm. a either I or other writers will create storylines for you and other players to play for Torque. But- yeah. And so it's this kind of modular aspect where you get these kind of narratively designed things that you can go out. So you know that if you buy Torque Episode 2 Big Rig, you're going to play the Big Rig Adventure. It's going to be different than anyone else that plays it, but it's going to have the same bounds of that Big Rig Adventure or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, and of course, there is also a free play mode where you all at the table write stories for each other to experience. And so it's this kind of show and tell unveiling your own stories and if you have four players you have you know three storylines you don't know about and can experience and so there is lots of kind of group play and solo play aspects happening and having this like framework to design inside of makes it simpler than you know planning a trad session it's like really hard Mm -hmm. to plan a trad rpg session because anything could happen and when mm-hmm, you kind of like mm-hmm. close off the possibility space, it makes it focused and interesting and there's still choices. Yeah, there's, I love this sort of share component in your game recently for the solar punk thing that I'm, I'm sketching with. I want to, I recently like talked about layout stuff in the brain with Adam, Adam Vass and others. And I now want to make this product that's like, here's the game. And this game also comes with an additional like bullet journal because I want people to like do the uh, collage thing of like snipping out animal pictures from the internet or a magazine or like landscapes. And like, that's their world that they build. And then I want people to like exchange those journals. That is so cool. Here's here's our Aether solar punk world. You play in it now and we'll play in yours and sort of like trade this table, what your tables come up with 
and I want like a forum thing. I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot rough. But the reason I bring it up is because I really love this sort of design intention or core principle thing where you're thinking about this exchange, right? Exchange of story or creation, right? Because I think it happens a lot for, you know, there are adventures that people make for D&D, but I think more of that nitty gritty comes to like magic items or classes or something like that. And I really love this concept of it having pieces of the game that you can exchange that that changes your game, right? Like if you know if you met someone else on the internet for Twerk specifically, like yeah. you talk about these created events, these through lines, storylines, you could meet someone on the internet. It's like, oh, I played Twerk too. We wrote one delineating uh, Waterworld or something like Fuck that. Fuck yeah. Right? And wow. they're like, wow, we didn't think about that. And then just like trade that game, right? Like, yeah, play in ours. Tell me what you think, and then you know, do your thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, that sounds amazing. I love the sound of uh, your solar punk game. Like the exchanging bullet journals is exactly a strength of role playing games, and it makes me think a lot about how in trad games the I like how you say the big ampersand. Um, how <laughs> we were already always doing that with backstory. The mm-hmm. way we thought about like I don't know. You play your first couple D and D campaigns and you think endlessly about your character and being able to share that is like a joy and so having it be a up front and center spotlighted put a lampshade on it whatever part of this thing is that the opposite meaning of an idiom anyway um, so you you make this a discrete part of the game um, and by discrete, I mean f- uh, physical and concrete and not secret. Like, <laughs> fuck it. God damn. Yeah. So uh, a goal of Toric is to also support seamless online play. And this is something I am spending most of my time doing is creating a guided online experience in which you can learn how to play the game, make characters, and then play the game all within the same win- like internet window with your friends. The tutorial adventure, for sure. The tutorial adventure, but also, like, hey, like, this is the, like, opening a board game box and not having to assemble anything and someone nicely telling you, like, here's how you do it. You start here and go here, grab this sheet, drag it down here, roll this Mm -hmm. for that, here's the game, here's some pictures, let's play. And then having the play space also be an integrated rules explainer Right. And doing that all through Miro, which is the current what I'm currently using to prototype this. And so mm-hmm. like with this hood scored has ghosts in it. And now, look, they're wrapping up so well right here. I want to support gamers that can't play together in person and have it be f- from the ground up conceptualized digitally and physically at the same time. So there is no friction between either experience and both are valid and their own ways to play. Mm-hmm. Or oh, this going to be really easy to stream. You just go to the template and start streaming and get on. Yeah. <laughs> like I want OBS to be the most difficult part of streaming my game. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the goal. I constantly think about like stream integration for actual plays. Like uh Critical Role has the whole like D&D Beyond HP uh, conditions thing going on for their streams which is cool i would love to see that for a bunch of games with you know blades in the dark and like what level your harm you're at and your stress and, and all this stuff and and games like twerk as well like all these thinking about the digital age in a package right we right. talked earlier about the discord stuff but thinking about the whole you know what we're moving towards social media stuff streaming services um you know like you said having 
easy integration for virtual tabletop spaces as well. I mean, I know Miro isn't directly that, but Miro, if you're listening, and you should be because it's happening here first, you need some virtual tabletop integration with some dice rolls. Uh, I have figured out how to roll dice in Miro. I have cracked I the link. code. Yeah. Uh, I want that, that link. link. I want to end these show notes. That link is kickstarter.com slash William <laughs> slash project slash torque. Did I get that URL right off the, off the dome? Oh, yeah. Of yeah. course, it's online thing. So it's janky as hell, but mm-hmm. you can do it. And I mean, it's not that janky. There are certainly, we played it on Roll20 and it, it took years off my life. It was dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Yeah, that was a disaster. Um, but you got to try You're it. You're not having a good time. Yeah, you got to try it. It was hilarious, but it was like, Jesus, fuck. <laughs> it's nice for during a playtest for the worst thing to be everything but your game. So mm. that's, that's nice. But yeah, having uh, it just be the design of the game to make it just easily playable online is to have very little weird number stuff, number crunching to have all information be available by looking at the game, like never having to take your eyes off of your screen where your friends are and where the cool cars are crashing into each other (laughs) and blasting. And yeah, that, that is definitely one of the main experimental goals of this game is to make more games like that. It should just be easier. We, we can make anything, so why not make it a little bit easier? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that brings us to... You might have beaten Adam Vass in longest episode Gosh. by maybe three minutes now. Oh. Adam, I'm sorry, bud. <laughs> why is it like a crown, but now you have the crown? We Well, they are the world champ. I'm just... It's yeah. true. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you so much for having me. This has been incredibly fun. Yeah. Uh, well, your energy has been superb, superb here today, and you brought a lot of good insight. For the folks at home, where can they find you, talk to you, touch base with you, look you up? All the links that, that Will is about to give us will be in the show notes below along with the Kickstarter stuff. I'm online at Will.com. You can find me on Twitter, really having a nervy one about Kickstarter at Will underscore J-O-B-S-T. That's Will Yobst. Uh, there's a really cool video by, oh my God, what's Tony's things called? Plus one XP. Plus one XP where Tony covered all of the... 10 most anticipated ZineQuest projects. That's really cool. There's a lot of cool people in there. I'm going to be like cross-posting a ton of ZineQuest shit because it is a horn of plenty kind of situation. They don't walk on the lot unless they want to buy. You can also find me <laughs> weekly on the Brain Trust podcast with alumni, Dry Your Dice alumnus. Alumni? Alumnus? <laughs> alumnus sounds gross. Adam <laughs> shit. Anyway. Give me more alumnus. <laughs> <Ew>, no. <laughs> I just clutched myself. Yeah, on the Brain Trust podcast. And you'd be great. And there's also the Brain Trust Discord, the community of which there has been a ton of people on this podcast from just killer designers. Just a nice place to go and hang and think about games. Yeah, that's that's it. Brain Trust Discord, just a nice place. It's nice. I hope it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, Will, thank you so much for the people at home. I have learned tons. I hope that you have as well. And we will see you on the next episode. Say bye to the people, Will. Bye. 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 I always say that on the phone now. I'm just like, bye. Bye.
All right, that's a wrap. Talking with Will was an absolute blast. Will, your energy is infectious and your designs are superb. Good luck in Zine Quest 2021. All the games we talked about today, along with all the links to get in touch with Will, along with the link to the Kickstarter for Torque, will be down below in the show notes for your access. If you like the show and found it helpful, please send a tip my way over at ko-fi.com or itch.io. Also, if you are unable to donate, please consider sharing this with the person you thought of while listening to this episode and leave a review. Both of those methods greatly impact the success of this show and lets me know that what I'm doing is beneficial to designers out there. If you finally got your game off the ground and out in the world, you can tag me at JeremyGage5 over on Twitter with the hashtag IDidIt. That's I-D-Y-D-I-T. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.